1: Jesus and his disciples went to Jericho. As they were leaving, they were followed by a large crowd. A blind beggar by the name of Bartimaeus was sitting beside the road. The blind man said, Master, I want to see. Jesus told him, Your eyes are healed because of your faith. At once the man could see.
0: The Gospel of Mark chapter 10 verses 46 through 52 contemporary english version hello welcome to anchored by truth brought to you by crystal sea books i'm victoria k this is our 8th episode in a series that we are doing on archaeology and the bible it's popular today especially in academia and the media to attempt to portray the bible as a book that has little connection to the real world But when reviewed objectively, it is obvious that the Bible is a book that is firmly set in time and place and accurately reflects a large body of important history. And archaeology has been extremely supportive of the Bible's historical trustworthiness. That's why we wanted to do this series. We want everyone, especially listeners to Anchored by Truth, to have a firm grasp on evidence by which they can be assured that the Bible is the inspired Word of God. To help us continue to explore this topic, in the studio today, we have R.D. Fierro. R.D. is an author and the founder of Crystal Sea Books. R.D., thus far in this series, we have reviewed a number of specific archaeologic finds that have confirmed details in the Bible. And in our last episode of Anchored by Truth, we spent some time providing evidence that the story of the fall of Jericho told in the book of Joshua is true. Can you give us a brief reminder of some of the things we talked about? Sure,
2: but before I get into the reminder, I'd also like to welcome everybody to this episode of Anchored by Truth. You know, we talked early on in this series that a lot of people will make the statement that archaeology proves the Bible is true, but that really, as we have said, is an overclaim and an underclaim. It's an underclaim because the Bible is true, regardless of whether people believe it or not, and regardless of how people will interpret archaeological findings or artifacts. But it is an overclaim in the sense that archaeology is the study of things that occurred in the past, and no one who wasn't there can know for sure exactly what happened in the past. All we can do is look at evidence that we have available to us in the present and try to make intelligent and informed interpretations of that evidence. But when we do that, when we look at things that archaeology has unearthed in the Middle East across the world, we see that the archaeological evidence that we find strongly supports the truth of the Bible's narrative. So while I wouldn't say that archaeology proves the Bible is true, Again, I think that word proofs is problematic there. What I would say is that archaeology as a science has been strongly supportive of the Bible and has provided us with valuable evidence that the Bible's historical accounts are in fact true, reliable, and trustworthy. So one element of the biblical episode that's related to in the book of Joshua about the walls of Jericho miraculously falling is that we know from archaeology that Jericho, in fact, had big walls, that Jericho was strongly fortified. And we also know from archaeological excavations that Jericho was large enough to hold enough people to be militarily significant. Now, a second element that we get from archaeology that's supportive of the biblical account is that even though it was large enough to be militarily significant, it was small enough for the Israelite army to be able to march around it seven times in one day. Now, a third element that is also supportive of the biblical account is that when archaeologists conducted their excavations at Jericho, they found a one-meter-thick layer of ash and debris, including jars of burnt wheat, and these were present in many sections of the city. Now, the book of Joshua, chapter 6, verse 24, says, quote, Then the Israelites burned the whole city and everything in it. So we have found a layer of ash, the residue of the city being burned through archaeological excavations. And one final piece of evidence that is consistent with the Bible is that when they excavated the city walls, while most portions of the city walls had in fact collapsed, as the Bible describes, that one section of the city wall was found to still be upright, and that there were houses whose back walls were actually part of the city's walls. Now, the Bible explicitly says that the harlot Rahab's house was built into the city wall. So, Joshua chapter 2 verse 15 says, quote, So Rahab let the Hebrew spies down by a rope through the window, for the house she lived in was part of the city wall, end quote. And a German exploration team in 1907-1909 to found that on the north side of Jericho, a short stretch of the lower city wall did not fall down as it had everywhere else. And in fact, that portion that had not fallen down did form the back wall of a house.
0: The main point of the evidence we cited is that there is ample archaeological evidence to support the reliability of the Bible's account The Israelites captured the city of Jericho exactly as the Bible describes. And then we talked briefly about why does it matter whether the story as told in the Bible is true. Some people might very well say that whether the story is literally true or just an embellished account doesn't make a difference. And
2: as we said last week, the answer to that question is that it makes all the difference in the world whether the story is true. The city of Jericho was the first major obstacle that the Israelites encountered as they were ending their period of wandering in the desert. That means they were about to enter the promised land. Well, we just want people to recognize that encountering a large obstacle as you're trying to do what the Lord has called you to do, that's not unusual even in the lives of faithful believers. Even if we are doing exactly what God wants us to do, We can and we should expect to encounter opposition from the world, the flesh, and the devil. Overcoming opposition is a part of fulfilling God's plans for our lives. And that's why it matters that the story of Joshua's conquest of Jericho is true. Humanly speaking, Joshua and his soldiers, they may or may not have been able to ultimately breach Jericho's walls but they sure were not going to do it in a matter of a few days. It would have taken more like months and maybe years. Well, in order for the Hebrew conquest of Canaan to be successful, it was vital for Joshua to keep the momentum going of crossing into the promised land. But Joshua couldn't do that on his own. He needed God's help, and he got it. And because Joshua really got the help he needed when he needed it, well, that gives us hope that we can receive the same kind of help from our God when we need it.
0: But if the story of Joshua's conquest of Jericho was just a legend or some kind of embellished story, why would that give anyone hope? We might be able to learn lessons from stories. Jesus used parables to teach. But if we want real hope, we need examples. Real examples of when our God came to the aid of His people. That's one thing we get from the story of Jericho. But we only get that if the story is real history.
2: Exactly. Militarily and psychologically, it was important for the Israelites to conquer Jericho to fulfill the mandate that they had received from God to take possession of the promised land, the land of Canaan. And with God's help, they did in fact conquer Jericho and proceeded to conquer other cities in Canaan. And most Christians, and even most non-believers, have sort of a basic awareness of this episode from the Bible. But it's important for listeners to know that the book that contains the account of the conquest of Jericho is the book of Joshua, which in most modern Bibles is the sixth book of the Bible.
0: The book of Joshua immediately follows the five books that Moses wrote during the wilderness wanderings. Together these five books are often called the Pentateuch and they are sometimes referred to as the Torah or the law. The book of Joshua is the first of the historical books which includes Judges, Ruth, 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings, and 1st and 2nd Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther. So, the book of Joshua is featured early in the Old Testament.
2: Right. And while most people are familiar with the story of the conquest of Jericho and the walls falling down, probably most people are not aware that the city of Jericho also appears in the New Testament. And that, of course, means that the city of Jericho was at some time, after Joshua destroyed it, rebuilt. Well, today we would like to take a brief look at what happens in that continuing story of Jericho because it helps us understand and helps us illustrate the unity of scripture.
0: So the first thing we need to note is that even though Joshua led the expedition against Jericho, Joshua himself prophesied that the city would be rebuilt. The contemporary English version of Joshua chapter 6 verse 26 puts his prophecy this way: quote, "After Jericho was destroyed, Joshua warned the people, Some day a man will rebuild Jericho, but the Lord will put a curse on him, and that man's oldest son will die when he starts to build the town wall. And by the time he finishes the wall and puts gates in it, all his children will be dead." Unquote. This prophecy was fulfilled over 500 years later. Ahab was the king of the northern kingdom of Israel. From around 871 B.C. to about 852 B.C., during Ahab's time, Jericho was rebuilt. 1 Kings chapter 16, verse 34 tells us that a man named Hiel rebuilt the city.
2: Yes, and that verse in the contemporary English version says this, quote, While Ahab was king, a man from Bethel named Hiel rebuilt the town of Jericho. But while Hiel was laying the foundation for the town wall, his oldest son, Abiram, died. And while he was finishing the gates, his youngest son, Segub, died. This happened just as the Lord had told Joshua to say many years ago. Close quote. Now, the Bible does not tell us why hiel decided to rebuild Jericho, but we can engage in a little sanctified speculation. hiel was from the town of Bethel, and the location of Jericho was just a little bit east of the town of Bethel. So Heil was very familiar with the area around Jericho, and he was likely very familiar with the ruins. And he probably realized that the ruins of the old city of Jericho contained a lot of very potentially desirable building materials that he could salvage up and repurpose.
0: Plus, as you mentioned, it had been over 500 years since the original Jericho had been destroyed. Perhaps Heil reasoned that, over such a long period, Joshua's original curse had simply expired. Also, Bethel was one of the religious sites for the northern kingdom. Let's remember that the original unified nation of Israel had by this time split into the northern and southern kingdoms. After the split, the northern kingdom was called Israel and the southern kingdom was called Judah. Jerusalem was the religious center for the southern kingdom but the northern kingdom had established two religious centers, one in Bethel and one in the more northern city, Dan. So it's possible Hile simply felt that now that the kingdoms were split, he wouldn't be affected by a curse that had been given during a time before the split. Or perhaps he just didn't believe in the validity of the curse because he lived in a time and a place when his people had set aside many of the religious practices that had been inaugurated by Moses during the Exodus.
2: And any or all of those things are possible. As you noted, Hile was chronologically, culturally, and religiously a long ways away from Joshua's pronouncement of the curse. And you know, that's how us people reason. We tend to think that things from long ago won't affect us. That's not how God thinks, and that's not how God acts. God had inspired Joshua to pronounce the curse to begin with. So, when Hile rebuilt Jericho, he suffered the penalty for his ignorance or his hubris, and his children died. But, the city of Jericho lived on, and it was still in existence during Jesus' lifetime. But there is one detail about Jericho's reconstruction that we need to take note of. Because even though Hile rebuilt a town named Jericho, he did not build it on exactly the same site as the original city.
0: And that makes perfect sense. The original site of Jericho would have been a mess. There were ruins of structures scattered everywhere. The residue from walls that had fallen in, the ground would have been uneven and hard to navigate. The original site would have been a very difficult place on which to build a new set of walls and buildings. So, Heil probably made a sensible decision to salvage what materials were useful, but to build the new city a short distance away. He would have chosen a site that was relatively level, more construction friendly, but close enough where any salvage materials did not have to be transported very far. And that's the configuration that came down to New Testament times. And
2: that configuration is an important element of understanding some passages from the New Testament. And we heard one of those passages in our opening scripture from the Gospel of Mark. Well, one of the other passages that we want to compare is from the Gospel of Luke. Chapter 18, verses 35 through 43.
0: Let's listen to the section, again, from the Contemporary English Version. Quote, When Jesus was coming close to Jericho, a blind man sat begging beside the road. The man heard the crowd walking by and asked what was happening. Some people told him that Jesus from Nazareth was passing by. So the blind man shouted, Jesus, son of David, have pity on me! The people who were going along with Jesus told the man to be quiet, but he shouted even louder, Son of David, have pity on me! Jesus stopped and told some people to bring the blind man over to him. When the blind man was getting nearer, Jesus said, What do you want me to do for you? Lord, I want to see, he answered. Jesus replied, Look, and you will see. Your eyes are healed because of your faith. At once the man could see, and he went with Jesus and started thanking God."
2: So, this passage from Luke tells us that Jesus encountered the blind beggar as he, quote, was coming close to Jericho, close quote. In other words, as Jesus was approaching Jericho. Now, Mark told us the name of the beggar Jesus encountered, Bartimaeus, and Bartimaeus just means son of Timaeus. But Luke didn't bother mentioning the beggar's name. But let's remember now what Mark told us about the encounter. In Mark, the opening of that passage we heard says, Jesus and his disciples went to Jericho, and as they were leaving, a blind beggar by the name of Bartimaeus was sitting beside the road.
0: So the distinction that you want us to note is that Mark tells us that Jesus encountered the beggar as they were leaving Jericho. But Luke says that the encounter occurred while Jesus was coming close to Jericho. In other words, as Jesus was approaching Jericho. So, that does seem to be a bit of a problem. Luke says Jesus encountered the beggar on the way into Jericho, but Mark tells us it was as he was leaving Jericho. That does seem to be a bit of a contradiction.
2: Yes, it does. But the key word that you used is seems. And that's where we need to go back to Hyle's ill-fated decision to rebuild Jericho. Hyle rebuilt the city, but in all probability, he could not use the exact same site for the reasons that we have discussed. Plus, Hyle's reconstruction of Jericho was over 800 years before Jesus was born. And during those 800 years, there were a lot of invaders who had passed through Palestine, including the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Greeks, and the Romans. Well, it's entirely possible that some or all of the town that Isle rebuilt had been destroyed and rebuilt yet again. But what we do know for sure is around Jesus' time, the heart of the New Testament town of Jericho was the Winter Palace complex built by Herod the Great. So New Testament Jericho was about two miles southwest of Old Testament Jericho. So it is quite possible that Mark and Luke could be referring to an encounter that took place between the two sites. Mark might have been referring to Jesus leaving the vicinity of the Old Testament site of Jericho, and Luke could have been referring to Jesus approaching the New Testament site of Jericho.
0: But it is also possible that Jesus had encountered a blind man on the way into Jericho who had tried but failed to get Jesus' attention. The Gospel of Matthew chapter 20 verse 29 has this to say about Jesus' encounter with the blind beggars near Jericho. Jesus was followed by a large crowd as he and his disciples were leaving Jericho. Two blind men were sitting beside the road, and when they heard that Jesus was coming their way, they shouted, Lord and Son of David, have pity on us. Matthew goes on to say that Jesus did restore sight to both men, although Matthew does not provide any names. Only Mark mentions a specific name.
2: Agreed. That's also a possibility. Now, some scholars believe that the reason Mark mentioned a specific name of one of the men who was healed is that Bartimaeus was the more vocal and forceful of the two. And if Bartimaeus had initially tried to get Jesus' attention as Jesus was approaching Jericho, and then waited around to make another attempt to get to Jesus, knowing that eventually Jesus would leave the city, well, that would mean that Bartimaeus also had very strong faith. So, one reasonable explanation for how these three passages in Matthew, Mark, and Luke can be reconciled is this. Bartimaeus had heard that Jesus was going to be traveling in the vicinity of Jericho.
0: And that was certainly possible. As even these accounts note, Jesus was being accompanied by a large crowd, and people in Jericho and in that region knew that Jesus was going to be in Jericho at about that time. Let's listen to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 19, verses 1 through 4. Quote, Jesus was going through Jericho, where a man named Zacchaeus lived. He was in charge of collecting taxes and was very rich. Jesus was heading his way, and Zacchaeus wanted to see what he was like. But Zacchaeus was a short man and could not see over the crowd, so he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree, So we know news about Jesus being in and around Jericho had circulated widely enough for a large crowd to gather. The crowd was so large that the chief tax collector of the region, who would have been a very important man in that time, wasn't even able to get a glimpse of Jesus. It's probable that, as we say, the crowd was lining the streets. To be able to see Jesus, Zacchaeus was willing to completely put aside his dignity and climb a tree.
2: Right. So, a lot of people had heard about Jesus. His fame had spread. You know, news travels fast in a place where the villages are pretty close, and a person as famous as Jesus is walking in the area. Bartimaeus had probably heard that Jesus had performed miraculous healings. I mean, heck, most people in Israel had heard at that time that Jesus had been doing healings all over the country. And as we've said, it appears that even though his blindness had reduced him to begging for a living, Bartimaeus still had very strong faith. So Bartimaeus positions himself on the route into Jericho. And as we've mentioned, Jericho was a very important place at the time. It was so important that Herod the Great had built his winter palace there.
0: The palace complex was so large that it totaled over 35 acres It had been built on the foundations of earlier royal palaces. The palace complex of Herod contained luxurious gardens, theaters, and athletic facilities, as well as palaces and villas. That's the kind of place that everyone knows about. There are going to be lots of people around who provide goods and services to the palace. That's probably a big reason Zacharias lived in Jericho. He was the chief tax collector. He had his own mansion. And of course, where there are big houses and rich people, there will be a lot of tradespeople, merchants, and suppliers who want their piece of the high-end business. It would also have been a common place for beggars to gather. Beggars want to be where people with money are coming and going, and that would have been Jericho in Jesus' day.
2: Agreed. So, Bartimaeus either lives near Jericho, or he somehow travels there knowing that Jesus is going to be in that vicinity. Well, when Jesus is approaching Jericho, Bartimaeus hears the commotion of the crowd around Jesus and starts calling out to Jesus to be healed. Now, it's possible that Jesus healed Bartimaeus at that time, but it's more likely that a large crowd kept a blind man from getting Jesus' attention on his first attempt. But with his strong faith, Bartimaeus knew that Jesus would leave the city at some point. So Bartimaeus decides he's going to try again. So, while Jesus and the crowd are inside the city, another blind beggar joins Bartimaeus and they talk about why they're there and then they proceed to wait together. I mean, nothing would be more natural than two people with the same affliction wanting to keep each other company. Well, it's highly likely that part of the crowd, and maybe most of the crowd, stayed inside Jericho, either eating or maybe they planned on spending the night. So when Jesus walked out of Jericho, Bartimaeus' faith was rewarded at that time because now Bartimaeus was able to get Jesus' attention and Bartimaeus got the healing that he desired.
0: And so did the other beggar who joined him in the waiting. That provides us a good example of why it makes sense to be around people with strong faith. God pays attention to people with strong faith. So, if you have faith that is still maturing or developing, it's a good idea to associate with people who are further down the faith journey. In this instance, it meant a man got his sight restored. He might otherwise have remained blind his entire life.
2: That's a very cogent observation.
0: Thank you. But there's a larger point we want to make in going into the details of these three passages. As with the account we heard from the book of Joshua when the walls fell, God miraculously intervened when people of faith had a dire need. But neither the story from Joshua or the reports of blind men being healed in the Gospels are of any value to anyone today, unless they are real history. Unless those were real people, at real places, with real needs. Right. And because
2: of archaeological excavations, finds, and artifacts, we can be confident that that's exactly what the Bible is reporting. Real history. Jericho is still in existence today as a city. It's a real city with real residents. And it's about in the same location that it was when Joshua originally encountered its massive walls. And it was destroyed, but it was rebuilt. And as we've been discussing, it played an important role in the New Testament.
0: And because we know that Jericho is real, we have a great starting point for assembling the evidence that show that miracles performed there were just as real as the city.
2: Right. The story of Joshua and Jericho tells us that we don't have to be discouraged when we encounter obstacles in our lives of service to the Lord and in our lives of service to others. The Lord knows about the obstacles long before we encounter them. Well, the story of Bartimaeus and his fellow blind beggar tells us that God provides help to people, to individuals, as well as to big groups, as well as to nations. You know, in many ways, Jericho is a great illustration of how the story of redemption unfolded through time. In Joshua's day, Jericho was just an obstacle to be overcome. But when Jesus arrived, it was no longer an obstacle. Now it was a site of renewal and reformation. You know, Zacchaeus renounced his greed and theft after encountering Jesus. Zacchaeus received the spiritual healing which he desperately needed.
0: As do we all.
2: And Bartimaeus and his companion received physical healing. Well, Jericho is a real physical place from which we can learn deep spiritual truths. None of this would be of any value to us if the accounts that we hear about weren't true. Literally true. Well, fortunately for us, they are true.
0: This sounds like a time to go to God in prayer. There are many places around the world where Christians are persecuted just for acknowledging and proclaiming their belief in the God of the Bible. Let's remember them in prayer today.
1: Prayer for Persecuted Christians Father of comfort and deliverance, You are a merciful God, and You have abundant compassion for those who suffer and are afflicted. Lord, we come to You to pray for our Christian brothers and sisters who are being oppressed, imprisoned, beaten, and killed, because they belong to you. We grieve for them, and we cry out to you on their behalf. We know that you will never leave or forsake any of your children, and that you know their sorrows better than we will ever know them. Yet we cannot remain silent, and so we plead with you to grant healing and release for them all. Help us to know what we can do to be a voice for those who cannot speak for themselves, and give us wisdom to know how we can help them. Help us to be generous with financial support, persistent in prayer, and committed to their cause. Cause our national leaders to act to improve their lot in accordance with your will. Raise up leaders who are willing to stand for you without compromise or flinching. We pray that you would cause the release and delivery of those whom you would have delivered. For those who remain in suffering, be a powerful presence in their lives. Grant them the peace that can only come from your special touch. We long for the day when all your people will stand united at your feet, and where the tribulations of this world will be far behind. We and all your people pray, now and always, only in Christ's holy name. Amen.
0: Is the Bible important in your life? Supporting Anchored by Truth with a contribution is an easy way to put your faith into action. The opportunity to help is available at crystalseabooks.com. How wonderful would it be for Jesus to commend us because we made His Word a priority in our lives and giving? We are grateful for your support and partnership. We hope you'll be with us next time, and we hope you'll take some time to encourage friends to tune in also or to listen to the podcast version of this show. If you'd like to hear more, try out crystalseabooks.com, where
2: we're not perfect, but our boss is. And for those of you who need that website one more time, That's crystalcbooks.com. Crystal, C-R-Y-S-T-A-L-C-S-E-A, and books, B-O-O-K-S dot com. Thank you for your support.